This e-cystic fibrosis review podcast is presented by DKB Med Radio. It is crucial to have these conversations with all women who are reproductive age with CF as they have a variety of sexual and reproductive health concerns. They also want these conversations to occur in private and to be initiated by the CF care team. The use of one simple opening question can work to normalize these conversations. And I say, would you ever like to become a parent? Clinical considerations for women with CF. Welcome to E-Cystic Fibrosis Review. The sexual and reproductive health concerns of women with CF. How do they differ from women without the disease? Do they need to discontinue their CFTR modulator therapy before getting pregnant? What about during pregnancy? Which factors can inform that decision? And overall... Despite the current sparsity of evidence-based guidance, what can CF clinicians do to best advise their patients? That's what we're here to talk about today with the authors of our recent E-Cystic Fibrosis Review newsletter issue, Meeting the Needs of Women with CF. Dr. Natalie West is an assistant professor of medicine at the Johns Hopkins University Department of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine, and Dr. Tracy Kazmersky is an assistant professor of pediatrics from the Division of Adolescent and Young Adult Medicine at UPMC Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. For our guest authors' disclosures and additional CME information, please go to our website, eCysticFibrosisReview.org, and click on the Volume 9, Issue 11 link. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of E-Cystic Fibrosis Review. Doctors, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for having me, and thank you in particular for highlighting women's health. Our guests have decided to present and discuss their cases individually. So, Dr. Kazmersky, I want to turn to you first to explore our first learning objective, which focuses on strategies to initiate discussions related to sexual and reproductive health concerns in women with CF. Uh, so, if you would, please, doctor. Start us out in the clinic with a patient scenario. So you are seeing a 20-year-old woman with CF in your clinic for routine follow-up. She has recently started on Alexacaster, Tezacaster, Ivacaster, and has had a 15% improvement on her forced expiratory volume in one second and a five-kilogram weight gain. She has no respiratory symptoms and is pleased that she can engage in more hiking and exercise with her new boyfriend. You want to inquire about her sexual and reproductive health and specifically ask her about her reproductive goals related to planning or preventing pregnancy. Okay, I'm quoting you here. You want to inquire about her sexual and reproductive health. Why is that important? This really aligns with the evidence of adolescent and adult women wanting to discuss sexual and reproductive health with their CF care team. The women with CF often view us CF providers as their main physician and thus may rely on us for sexual and reproductive health counseling. They also want these conversations to occur in private and to be initiated by the CF care team. Our studies have found that women with CF have both general and disease-specific sexual and reproductive health concerns and really experience large gaps in this aspect of their comprehensive health care. In addition, her use of the triple combination therapy can theoretically lead to thinning of her cervical mucus and improve fertility. And additionally, the maternal fetal impacts of Alexacaster, Tezacaster, Ivacaster remain unknown, and data collection on this is in progress. But thus, it really is key to gauge her reproductive plans and align her medical therapy with these goals. All right, so that's the why about having this sexual and reproductive health conversation. What about the how? 
How should a CF clinician start this conversation? So it can be important to normalize these conversations as an important aspect of CF care. For instance, saying many women with CF have questions about the impact of CF on their reproductive health. I often use a derivative of one key question from the Power to Decide organization. In that organization, they say that you should use the question, would you like to become pregnant in the next year? For women with CF, I often broaden this to include other options for parenting, such as adoption or surrogacy. Would you like to become a parent in the next year? And then depending on the answer to this question, you can begin to discuss contraceptive options if the answer is no, pregnancy or parenthood planning if the answer is yes, or support the patient if they are unsure or ambivalent if the answer is I don't know or I don't care either way. It's really important to respect and listen to the woman's answer, whatever it is, as all these options are valid. I'm pretty sure not every CF provider is going to feel comfortable talking about reproductive health. How would you advise them? So many providers have raised the concern of not bringing up these topics because they don't know what to do with the answers. They don't want to open a Pandora's box. And the argument exists that our discomfort should not prevent a woman with CF from receiving this care. And that an answer of, I don't know, and a referral to a women's health provider is completely appropriate. So CF teams can prepare for having these conversations in a few concrete ways. First, they can make a list of trusted women's health providers that they can refer to who are familiar with CF and can co-manage patients. These can include maternal fetal medicine specialists, family planning or general gynecologists, urogynecologists, lactation consultants, and down the line. Second, members of the CF team can use existing educational resources to support women with reproductive health concerns. For younger women, the Center for Young Women's Health out of the Boston Children's Hospital is a great website, and they have 13 CF-specific sexual and reproductive health guides that are evidence-based. For older women, many great resources exist through national CF groups, such as the CF Foundation, CF Canada, or the CF Trust in the United Kingdom. There's also a role of a champion of sexual and reproductive health on your CF team. A champion of sexual and reproductive health? Uh, Explain that, please. Someone who is invested in this topic and dedicated to discussing these concerns with patients, and it's really appropriate to use such a person. The goal is not to make all CF providers women's health providers, too. The goal is to have women with CF feel comfortable discussing sexual and reproductive health with their CF team and connecting with them with the appropriate care or services. What if your patient is a teenager? Would that change the conversation? So it really is still crucial to have these discussions on a routine basis with a teenage patient. Annually or a few times a year is appropriate. I personally often still open with a variant of that one key question, and I say, would you ever like to become a parent? Adolescent and young adult women have stated that they want their CF team to have these discussions in private when no one else is in the room. Teams can use self-visits with teenagers as a time to address sexual and reproductive health care, among other CF topics. It's really important to foster an environment of openness and trust in these situations. Sexual and reproductive health is protected health information, even if the patient is a minor. Reminding adolescent patients that this information will not be shared with their parents or guardians is very important. It also helps to be very conscientious about what and how you document sexual and reproductive health concerns in the chart, as many electronic medical records have pathways to document confidential information. 
Well, thank you, Dr. Kazmersky, for that case and discussion. Let's return now to our learning objective, which focuses on strategies to initiate discussions related to sexual and reproductive concerns in women with CF. So wrap it up for us, if you would, please, Doctor. What are the key things our listeners need to know? So first, it is crucial to have these conversations with all women who are reproductive age with CF, as they have a variety of sexual and reproductive health concerns. Second, the use of one simple opening question can work to normalize these conversations. Would you like to become a parent in the next year? Or for younger patients, would you ever like to become a parent? Ensuring that you have time for personalized private conversations related to reproductive health with adolescent patients with CF is key. A good use of the self-visit and a way to build a patient's independence in their healthcare seeking and readiness for transition to adult care is to engage in sexual and reproductive health conversations. It's always helpful to prepare for what comes next. Ready yourself and your team with a list of women's health providers to whom you can refer women with CF. And finally, and above all, remain non-judgmental and open for these discussions. Research has shown that women with CF want to discuss sexual and reproductive health with their CF team. Even if you aren't an expert, it's still important to have these conversations. Thank you, Dr. Tracy Kazmersky from UPMC Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. An e-cystic fibrosis review will continue in just a moment. COVID-19. Some people have said it's changed everything. But one thing that hasn't changed is our need to get timely and, most importantly, accurate information. That's why we created our COVID-19 Keeping Up With a Moving Target programs. It's a weekly webinar and podcast series hosted by Dr. Paul Awater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. It's updated information from the front lines of COVID-19 research and practice. And it's answers from the experts to your most important questions. COVID-19, Keeping Up With a Moving Target, is CME and CE accredited and provided free of charge. For more information, go to covid19.dkbmed.com. Thank you, and please stay safe. Welcome back to this E-Cystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. Our second learning objective focuses on CFTR modulation during pregnancy, specifically to explain the potential risks and benefits of continuing or discontinuing CFTR modulator therapy in pregnancy. To discuss this important topic, I want to reintroduce Dr. Natalie West, Assistant Professor of Medicine from Johns Hopkins University Department of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine. Once again, doctor, thank you for joining us. And let me ask you, if you would, please, to start us out in the clinic. So a 29-year-old woman presents in clinic and reports she is considering trying to become pregnant. Her genotype is hemodragous for f 508 del and she has done well previously on Lumacaftor-Ivacaftor and subsequently Tezacaftor-Ivacaftor and was recently transitioned to Orexacaftor, Tezacaftor, Ivacaftor. She has experienced dramatic improvements in lung function and she has not required oral or intravenous antibiotics in the past year, which is a decrease from years previous. She would like to discuss getting pregnant and wants to know if she can stay on Orexacaftor, Tezacaftor, Ivacaftor. How would you begin this type of conversation? Well, first of all, I would like to thank her for bringing up the important topic and just reassure her that we can make this decision together. I think it's important to review the benefits she has received over the recent years with her CFTR modulator use so she understands the potential benefit to her own health if she remains on the CFTR modulator while pregnant. I would review her history of exacerbation, lung function and weight, 
before she started on CFGR modulators and point out to her that she has had an increase in lung function and a decrease in need for oral and IV antibiotics. I also like to review the retrospective data from Nash and colleagues on the general tolerability of CFTR modulators during pregnancy with all my patients with CF who are pregnant or who are considering becoming pregnant. Uh, remind us about that study by Nash and colleagues, if you would please. This study was a retrospective study of 64 pregnancies from 31 CF centers worldwide. The modulators that were included in the study were Ivacaster, Lumacaster Ivacaster, and Tezacaster Ivacaster. This study was done before the approval of Alexacaster, Tezacaster, Ivacaster. The main highlights of this study show that there were no reported complications in infants that were deemed secondary to CFTR modulators, and it was well tolerated in pregnancy. There were two maternal complications deemed secondary to a CFTR modulator. One, a CF exacerbation, which is honestly quite common in CF, and two, one woman was diagnosed with leukemia. And although the treating physician deemed it secondary to the CFTR modulator, this complication has not been seen in CFTR modulators previously and is unlikely to be secondary to the CFTR modulator. Okay, so you review the benefits she's been getting from CFTR modulation, reminder of her history before she was on CFTR modulation, and share whether the data about CFTR modulation in pregnancy from the 2020 NASH study. Once you've done all that, what would be your next step? I think it's important here to use shared decision-making tools so that we come to a decision together. I want to make sure she feels that we were making this choice together and it's not something I'm telling her to do. I would review how I would monitor her health, whether she chooses to stop the CFTR modulator or remain on it. And in this case, we would work closely with her OB provider to ensure both she and her child are doing well during the pregnancy. I would also emphasize that her decision, no matter which decision she makes, can always be reversed at any time if her health status changes. I want to ask you about monitoring this patient. Let's say she decides to stop her CFTR modulator. What monitoring would you do? We would closely monitor her lung function and weight to ensure she is staying healthy and gaining weight properly during the pregnancy. We will work closely with her OB physician to ensure she remains healthy from both a pulmonary perspective, but also a pregnancy standpoint. And if her health declines, meaning if she has a drop in lung function or needs more frequent antibiotics, we would have a discussion together with her OB physician on whether we should consider restarting her CFTR modulator. And in fact, in the NASH study, multiple women who had decided to stop their CFTR modulator during pregnancy did need to restart due to declines in health off the modulator, and actually all did very well back on the modulator. Same question, doctor, if she decides to continue her CFTR modulator. What monitoring would you do then? We would closely monitor her lung function and weight to ensure she is staying healthy and gaining weight properly during the pregnancy. We would check liver function tests frequently, at least every three months, to ensure there is no hepatic toxicity that might make us want to stop the CFTR modulator. We would work closely with her OB provider to ensure her baby is growing properly and there are no birth defects noted on ultrasound. Thank you for this case and discussion, Dr. West. Let's wrap things up now by returning to our learning objective, explain the potential risks and benefits of continuing or discontinuing CFTR modulator therapy in pregnancy. Uh, so, Doctor, what are the key points our listeners should remember? The decision to stop or continue a CFTR modulator should be shared between the woman with CF who is pregnant and her CF provider. The OB provider should also be involved with this decision, and the CF provider should share the known retrospective data 
with the OB provider to help inform decision-making. The decision to stop or continue the CFTR modulator can be reversed at any time, depending on maternal and fetal health, and can be an ongoing discussion. Retrospective data on safety with CFTR modulators in pregnancy and lactation can be reviewed with the woman with CF who is pregnant to help gain perspective. It should be noted there are multiple ongoing studies in this area, and more data will be coming in the years to come. Dr. Natalie West from Johns Hopkins University, thank you for sharing your knowledge and expertise on this e-cystic fibrosis review podcast. And our thanks once again to Dr. Tracy Kazmersky from UPMC Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. For e-cystic fibrosis review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at ecf.dkbmed.com. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is supported by educational grants from Vertex Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, AbbVie Incorporated, JECUSA, and Mylan. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is copyright with all rights reserved by DKB Med, LLC. Thank you for listening.